0: Our reading is taken from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 to 11, and can be found in the Church Bible at page 1015. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut from in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, "'Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our Father, David!' Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked round at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning, everyone. Um, I've developed colds and snuffles this morning as well, so if my voice gives up, (laughs) Jennifer will have to come and read it. (laughs) So here we are at the start of Holy Week, probably one of the most significant weeks ever recorded in history. And the first event of the week, Jesus entering Jerusalem, is recorded by Mark in our reading today. And we've been given palm crosses, haven't we, as we entered church. Palms to remind us of the palms the crowds waved as they shouted Hosanna. And palms that are in the shape of a cross to remind us of the crucifixion of Jesus later on in this week. Zechariah 9 9.9, written 500 centuries earlier, speaks prophetically of that day when he says... Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey. A colt, the foal of a donkey. Historical sources, Josephus and a few others, record another entry into Jerusalem's gates that week. Pilate, accompanied by a legion of soldiers, arrived from Caesarea, coming to Jerusalem during the Passover when the population would be swollen by thousands of extra pilgrims. But his entry was a statement of domination, of occupying force. And that statement wouldn't have been lost on the Jews that day. Historical reports describe Pilate as being particularly antagonistic and insensitive to Jewish beliefs. He displayed heathen images in Jerusalem and used temple money for his own projects. No wonder the people were looking for liberation. So is it really surprising that an occupied people, desperate for the coming of their Messiah, who history foretold would liberate them from oppression, interpreted Jesus' entry into the city in human terms, that the time of liberation from Roman occupation and the restoration of the nation was here. But as events later that week would reveal, Jesus didn't fulfill their earthly expectations, the longed-for deliverance that they had waited for for so long. Instead, as sections of the metaphors within this passage described, he came with a different narrative. I spent um, probably 20 years sitting under the preaching of a good Spurgeon's man, and he always had three points, so I've got three points this morning. (laughs) But there are many more themes you can draw from this passage. Jesus came in peace. Jesus came to save. And Jesus came to challenge. Some versions of this passage in various translations use the description cult, but others make it clear that Jesus was riding a young donkey. Donkeys are mentioned numerous times throughout the Bible. They're one of the most mentioned animals. And they're one of only two animals in the Bible that speaks the other being the snake in the Garden of Eden. And donkeys were and still are in some places important in our economy. And in this passage, riding on a donkey is sending the message that Jesus comes in peace, unlike Pilate, who arrived on horseback with mounted Roman guards and war horses. Jesus comes in meekness, not for him the majesty associated with human monarchy. He didn't come to fulfill human expectations of deliverance, but instead to, be, to open the door to men's hearts, to meet us spiritually and eternally, to meet the deepest needs of our hearts and desires. And he was coming to save in peace, in reconciliation, not to instill hatred and war. In the picture of the king on a donkey, we see the paradox of trust and of faith, that Jesus was who he claimed to be, even though the expectations of the people weren't going to be met by the liberation they expected. When all around would want us to believe otherwise, there are times, aren't there, when we're called to trust that the road we travel on is ordained by God and that he has our best interests at heart. And that's one of the things that was being asked of the people of Jerusalem that day. John says in chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And as we think about the donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem that day, let's remember that it can be a picture for us of how Jesus can carry and support us Donkeys are noted for their strength. They can carry burdens far greater than their size would suggest. Matthew 11, in verse 28, says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't say this at all lightly, but during this week, as we think about the journey Jesus made to the cross, and then onward to resurrection and restoration, onward toward Easter, and for those of us who are carrying burdens that at times seem to be too heavy for us to bear, let's recognize that he who went willingly to the cross offers us rest and peace. and Christ came to save. The king is coming, but not to meet the crowds, earthly expectations of salvation. As Titus says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That day, some 2000 years ago in Jerusalem, the crowd received Jesus as their king. They spread their cloaks and palm branches out on the road before him, The promised king of Israel, the Messiah, Christ has come to save us. I was in the garden yesterday enjoying the lovely sunshine when the peace was broken by the roar of a crowd. Chose we were playing at home, and I guess from the volume of the cheering that they won. Is that right, Steve? Steve tells me he was one of the crowd that was singing. (laughs) In the way a football crowd will pick up a chant so it becomes a massed voice of spectators, we can imagine the cry spreading around the crowd in Jerusalem until they were unified in one chant of adulation Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest heaven. How much then? They must have despaired when they saw their expectations and hopes dashed. Jesus had no intention of taking on the military might of Rome. Was it that sense of being let down that helped fuel their cries later on in that week of crucify him, crucify him? People still expect Jesus to do things for us that he never promised to do. We hope for deliverance from so many things that trouble us from unemployment, from failed marriages, from loneliness, from despair, from poverty. The list is almost endless. And the uncomfortable truth is that yes, He can and sometimes does miraculously intervene in our daily lives, but sometimes what we long and yearn for and expect just doesn't happen. But although Jesus didn't meet the expectations of the crowd that week, he did meet the expectations of his heavenly Father. Jesus came to save us from sin and its consequences, to reconcile us to God, to confer on us new status as children of God, to impart his spirit and to give us eternal life. And more importantly, his deliverance is one that lasts into eternity and not just for the few years of human existence on earth. We read in John 5, verse 30, I can do nothing, I of myself can do nothing. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. We know, don't we, that God gives us free will, and we make a choice to follow him. We make a choice to conform to his will for our lives. But as I thought about this passage and the events we remember, particularly on Palm Sunday, I was struck by a particular phrase, the Lord has need of it. It's not a huge leap of imagination, is it, to hear the same question being put to us 2,000 years later. What gifts, what talents, what resources do we possess that our Lord has need of as a church and as individuals? Of course, our Heavenly Father has all the abilities and resources already, but he chooses to give us gifts and talents so that we can accompany him on the journey of building his kingdom. And he gives us resources, doesn't he? Resources to use in his service. If this week we hear these words, the Lord has need of you, how will we respond? Will we give freely, without question, like the owner of the cult? Or do we hesitate Do we go on the what-if journey? What if it's too costly? What will people say? And all the other phrases and excuses that we can think of. Perhaps we might even struggle to believe that he would call us. Maybe we think we have nothing of value that he could want. Maybe we believe the lie that God doesn't have anything special in mind for us or maybe we even doubt his love for us as a unique individual. And yet I suspect that most of us long to be reassured that we are part of God's plan. We long to know the blessing of responding to him. We long to know the security of living confidently in his plan for our lives. For a lot of Christians this week, Holy Week, Offers a special opportunity to take time out, to reflect on our individual Christian journey and the direction that it's taking us. And yes, Jesus offers us rest and peace, not necessarily an easy path or one to tread lightly. But this week, let's take time to consider if our expectations are rooted in faith and trust in our loving God and the work Jesus completed through the cross. And to consider how we will reply when we hear him calling, the Lord has need of you. Amen.